Hello there, I'm Patrick Stroth, president of Rubicon M&A Insurance Services. Welcome to M&A Masters, where I speak with the leading experts in mergers and acquisitions. And we're all about one thing here, that's a clean exit for owners, founders, and their investors. Today, I'm joined by Brooke Ansel, Vice President of Prudential Private Capital in their Dallas office. Brooke, it's great to have you. Thanks for joining me today. Patrick, thank you for having me. Thrilled to be on today. It's unique. Usually we're talking with either private equity firms or, or other capital providers in the lower middle market. And at the first blush, you think Prudential, big institution, large cap, you know, interest only. Not the case. So it's a pleasure to have you. So before we get into that, though, let's talk about you. How did you get to this point in your career? Yeah. So as of the beginning of May, I'll be with Prudential for about seven years. Um, it's gone by very quickly. Um, like Patrick, like you mentioned, um, I'm a vice president and I run a team here in Dallas and focused really in the southern part of the United States. Um, but I have a, I, what I would call a fairly um, untraditional career path to where I am today. I actually started out of undergrad um, at Neiman Marcus in their um, handbag buying office. So after getting a finance degree, that's what I chose to do. Um, it was fantastic experience. Um, got to learn about a lot of different parts of business, including marketing and finance and inventory management, among other things. So it was great experience, but decided to then pivot and pursue more what I would call traditional corporate finance opportunities, um, including an opportunity at um, a large hedge fund here in Dallas and then at Deloitte. So um, like I said, kind of untraditional, I think, to the role I'm in now, but all great experience. And um, I would say just a great journey. And a lot of that experience I leverage in my in my role today. You can't say, you can't understate the importance of experience. And it's great because you go uh, from school right into where you're in operations and working on something on a large scale. And, and so you could see a lot of little things rather than being in some boutique where you're just narrow in one area. So that that's excellent. Now, as I mentioned before, people don't necessarily think of an institution like Prudential being active in, in investing like this. They're more just like a bank, okay? Not the case. Talk to me about this and how Prudential Private Capital, how it, it's different from you know just a regular bank and also its commitment to the lower middle market, which again, complete surprise, and I'm glad you're here to tell us about that. Yeah, I'm so glad to have this conversation because like you alluded to, a lot of people hear the name Prudential and they either think of, you know, oh, they're only investing in public securities, or they just think of our retirement, um, yeah. retirement products, life insurance products. So Prudential Private Capital, um, we're a part of that broader Prudential. Um, and we actually have about 100, I think we're close to 100 years um, in terms of our history as the private investing arm for Prudential. Um, and we largely focus on, on the debt side, but we do provide minority equity as well. Um, so really think of us in terms of all types of private, private capital, and that's what we're doing on behalf of Prudential. So it's great in that we have you know, this large balance sheet that we're investing on, um, but we have, and we can get into this a little bit more um, as we talk further, but we have these smaller regional deal teams and regional offices that allow us to get to know management teams, get to know sponsors in our territories. Um, and that allows us to invest 
you know, private capital in the lower middle market, the middle market space. Um, so we've been around for a long time, but um, I feel like a lot of people aren't as familiar with kind of what, what we do on the private capital side. Connection we have with Prudential is they start off as a life insurance company. So you got, you got to like that little connection with, with the, the legacy there of insurance and then broadening out into other financial areas. So you've got this large institution and you reference this real quick because you've got deal teams. So you're a lot more nimble than people think. Why don't you talk about what are the, what are the elements that Prudential Private Capital brings to the table? Yeah, um, this is such a great question. Um, I know, you know, one of your prior uh, guests, I know, alluded to the fact that all capital is the same. No money is greener than any other money. One of my good friends, Heather Hubbard. But, you know, I think in terms of our secret sauce and what we bring to the table is really this idea of our network. And it's our internal network as well as our external network. So the culture of just our organization, I work with a lot of people who have worked together for literally decades and just know each other very well. We can be nimble, make decisions quickly just because our senior management team has been together for so long and through cycles. Um, not only that, you know, myself and the other team leaders, my peers, um, we've all been with Prudential for years and know each other well. So we're able to network, be nimble, get smart on different situations, different industries really quickly through just our internal network within our group. But beyond that, you, you know, we talked a little bit about our regional office network. You know, I am very focused on really sponsors and companies in my backyard. So I know what's going on in the market dynamics in my region and, and as well as, um, you know, my colleagues across the country and the world, actually. Very similar model. They just get to know people in their markets really well. And then beyond that, I mentioned our global footprint. You know, I have, there are um, individuals like me who are based in our London office, our Frankfurt office, our Sydney office. Um, so we have this global network and, and global client base, team base that we're able just to, to pull a lot of knowledge from, um, leverage relationships and help not only kind of our, our colleagues, but also our, the companies and sponsors that we back um, in terms of the institutional knowledge that we can bring to the table. Um, and then really the last thing I'd mention, separate from just our network, both internally and externally, would be um, our ability to really bring capital solutions to bear. Um, we, we do have you know, a lot of capital to invest, which is helpful, but not only that, we have the ability to invest across the capital structure. So senior debt, mezzanine debt, um, equity. So a lot of flexibility that um, I really do sets us apart in terms of creating capital solutions to get deals done. Yeah, well, and the other thing is, is the, you know, I didn't realize until we had met that, okay, Prudential, you know, it may be a financial institution, but Prudential Private Capital is not a bank. So you've got a lot more tools at your disposal uh, with regard to that, where, you know, your basis of, of lending or basis of investing is slightly more flexible. Talk about that real quick. Yeah, you know, um, a lot of our underwriting or really all of our underwriting is more cash flow based. Yeah. Um, and so instead of looking at asset values, we're, we're frequently really underwriting to cash flows. Um, so that in itself, I think, creates some more flexibility in terms of the capital structures that, that we can um, look to provide. So 
while we also partner with a lot of banks too, in mm-hmm. terms of, you know, oftentimes there's a senior bank facility and either we're providing fixed rate long-term debt along that bank facility, or we're providing mezzanine and junior capital. So, so just, I like it, it really an apple and an orange in terms of um, my uh, commercial bank banker friends, um, but great ways that we can partner together to get, to get transactions done. Yeah, and, and the other thing that, that works out pretty well is you don't have the regulatory con- constrictions or constraints that banks have. You can get out there. And the other thing I think is appealing, particularly, and we can talk about this with independent sponsors, which is an emerging class of, of equity out there, is that you're not interested in majority investments. You want to stay minority, which is very helpful. I mean, there are those that want an exit. There are others that, hey, they want to come in. They want to make an acquisition. They want to be the majority. And that fits right in in with your appetite. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of what we do, at least on the equity side, is um, minority equity. Mm -hmm. Um, But also in situations where you can stretch the balance sheet a little and, and provide mezzanine, a lot of people will either call it um, expensive debt or cheap equity. Okay. So, yeah. so in certain situations, there really is the ability to provide mezzanine. It's less dilutive um, to owners. Mm-hmm. Um, or there may be situations where, you know, the owner doesn't really want to give up control, but they need to, whether it's take some chips off the table, they want to make a big acquisition, they need to buy out a shareholder. There are a lot of other reasons why, um, you know, junior capital is important. And you bring you bring it that way. Now we we had brought up the the topic of of independent sponsors, which is kind of a segue uh, into you know your ideal client. Why don't you give us a profile on who does Prudential Private Capital best serve? Yeah. So, you know, it's really across the board, Patrick. We um, we work with a lot of sponsors both small and larger funds, just because of, you know, our minimum check size starts really at 15 million. And then we have the ability to invest up to a couple hundred million. So um, we do work with smaller um, kind of first time funds, some of the larger private equity funds, but then we also work a lot with management teams on a direct basis with companies. So our, our, um, I would say, you know, it's a pretty broad, a broad range of, of clients that we work with. Consistently, though, it's it's people that really value relationships and value Prudential and what we bring to the table and really want a long-term partner um, that they can trust, build a relationship with, which I think, you know, a lot of our clients definitely saw the benefit of that during COVID. Any potential client that I'm talking to, I would say, call some of my clients that we worked with during COVID and they can talk about how we were patient. We listened a lot of dialogue during very, you know, very challenging time for many of our clients. So that's a long way to answer your question. But, you know, we work with a lot of different types of firms, different sizes of firms and companies, but consistently it's folks that really value relationships. Yeah. Let's not close over this COVID thing that you just, you just referenced quickly. (laughs) Is it, you know, with prudential private capital, your your capital is more patient, and you're going to find ways to make make your investments and in, in, in your clients successful. So you, you're you're kind of you know aligned with them in the interest, and you're not trying to just roll them out and get a, get an exit. You're you're invested in their growth, and I think being there for the long term really helps with the relationships. 
Yeah, absolutely. I do think that our approach is, like you said, more of a long-term kind Mm -hmm. of approach. And with some of our clients, you know, we've been invested for a very long time and have had long-standing relationships with them. And, you know, in periods of of disruption and uncertainty, that just is so, so important. And I think, you know, I also think about just our regional office model, um, the fact that you know, I'm either in the city or a short car ride away and not sitting at a, you know, You're not a, in New a York. distant location, you know, I mean, it's, I can, I'm really kind of in, in their backyard. I could, while we couldn't necessarily always be with each other in person, I think there is this element of, you know, close by in a more normal world, being able to respond in person, if that's what it requires and just relationship oriented, not transactional oriented. Well, and as you talk about relationships, I mean, you cannot disregard the human element, particularly when, when we're, we're involved with investing in mergers and acquisitions and so forth, where, you know, it's not Amazon buying Whole Foods. This is a group of people choosing to work and partner with another group of people and for an ongoing relationship. And, you know, ideally one plus one equals six. And so it's important to you know, nurture those relationships. And one of the things that happens with mergers and acquisitions uh, where, you know, uh, there's, there's a recipe for, for failure is where you have an experienced party on one side of M&A deal, usually the buyer, and an inexperienced party, they're not naive, they're just inexperienced, and that's the owner and the founder that have gone through an M&A deal. And things that are routine to the buyer are scary and, and you know, uh, disrupting to the, to the, inexperienced player. And so there's a recipe there for a lot of tension, a lot of unknown, uh, just from a misunderstanding. And, you know, one of the areas that comes in a lot of times we see in mergers and acquisitions is where buyer goes through a very invasive due diligence process. And then following that says to the seller, okay, well, we've got this thing called an indemnification clause where, and this is what the seller hears, buyer saying, just in case we missed anything, this, this clause t- says that I can claw back money from you if there's anything that blows up post-closing that you didn't tell me about, and I might have missed in diligence. And then all of a sudden, the seller's like, wait a minute. I've just shared everything with you. I've answered all your questions. How can you hold me responsible for something that I didn't know about? To where the experienced buyer says, well, I'm making a bet tens of millions of dollars that your memory is perfect and that you've told me everything. And you can get through that a bit and, and, and the, the seller will eventually, you know, the deal gets closed and the seller will forgive the process, but they'll never forget the feeling that they had. And something like that situation is completely avoidable because the uh, deal can be insured. There's an insurance product called rep and warranty insurance where it steps in the shoes of the seller and says, essentially, look, if any of the seller reps, get breached, the reps that the buyer performed diligence on didn't find anything, and those breaches cost the buyer money, the insurance company, not the seller, will go ahead and make the buyer whole. Buyer has certainty of collection, so that's all good. They're set to go. Seller gets clean exit. And usually not only do they get more cash at closing because the policy attaches at a lower point, so there's little or no need for an escrow, but they get peace of mind that, hey, I get to keep all the money that I got. Fantastic. Let's move forward. And what was pre-COVID, rep and warranty insurance was restricted to deals north of $100 million in transaction value. 
And then just prior to COVID, the threshold and the rules uh, for eligibility dropped all the way down. So deals as low as $10 million are eligible for insurance now. And so it's a great way for, you know, even minority players to have their interests covered on this as well. And, and so it's been just a boon for the M&A in the lower middle market uh, space, which is why we were trying to get that word out. But as a reliable tool, don't listen to me, Brooke, good, bad, or indifferent. Tell us about your experience with rep and warranty for your clients. Yeah, I mean, I would say that it has really just become the norm and a part of the natural conversation to at least talk about, is this something that is necessary in the transaction or not? Um, and I would say just consistently, like you mentioned, there, there are benefits to both the buyer and the seller. Um, but more importantly, it can just help the, the speed up the timeline of the transaction and help the buyer and the seller get the deal done. So I just think that it is becoming more mainstream and, and definitely um, a product that is, you know, a few years ago, you know, people were talking about, but now it's just, I feel like it is just a part of the, the M&A world now. So, so and very, interested, very yeah. interested to hear that now then the threshold for deal size has, has come down. So that's, um, that's exciting to hear. Um, as we're going through this year, I, at this point when we're recording, I, I just mentioned to you in the pre-recording talk that I just got my daughter got 16 year old got got her first COVID shot. So we're I'm confident that we're at the beginning of the end of the pandemic here and we're going to get back to working. Um, Brooke, from your perspective, what do you see going forward for the rest of the year? Be it M and A, Prudential. Yeah. Um... I'm with you. I am very optimistic about the outlook um, for the balance of the year. Um, I just got my second shot and I really think that things are opening up. So definitely optimistic for the balance of the year. But as it relates to m and I mean, what I'm hearing from my network, um, for people that are really involved more on the front end of the process in terms of sell side Q of E and investment banks, um, that they are very active. Um, yeah. And it sounds like there are a lot of companies that you know, maybe we're in market pre-COVID um, or because of COVID had decide, has decided that they want to explore um, strategic alternatives. And really their focus was, you know, let's get through kind of 12 months with really good trend lines, good performance, good trailing 12 month kind of performance, and then let's go to market. So I'm really optimistic that it's going to be a busy second half of the year for M&A. Um, Clearly, the capital markets, there's still a ton of capital available, whether um, it's in the public markets or the or the private markets. Um, Prudential, actually, we just raised our sixth mezzanine fund. Um, so we have um, more junior capital to put to work, which we're very excited about. So I think that, you know, Q4 of 2020 was extremely busy and people have kind of taken a taken a little bit of a breath. Either they've been closing deals that didn't get closed by the end of last year or they um, have been taking a deep breath and I'm, I'm certainly gearing up for a busy second half of the year. Yeah, I think that uh, a couple of things that happened was the uh, dry powder and private equity didn't, didn't blow away during COVID. The other, the other issue is the other thing that didn't stop all, a lot of things in life stopped, time didn't. And so we've got a lot of owners and founders out there that everybody got a year older. I think uh, I agree with you that there may not be this rush to market 
because you know there might be buyers taking advantage of trying to get a discount because you know past performance and you know relying on earnouts or some post closing calculation right i agree with you i think there're going to be a lot of companies that just they want to hold until they get that 12 month trend line and and get that get those our arrows pointing up into the up into the right and and it'll improve their position a bit so that that's uh well noted uh brooke Tell our audience how they can find you and, and your group to learn more about Prudential Private Capital. Yeah, so the easiest way um, is just our website, which is pretty easy. It's prudentialprivatecapital.com. Um, and then me personally, I have a LinkedIn page. So again, it's Brooke Ansel. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. And I try to post um, interesting content from Prudential and um, would, you know, welcome to connect with anyone to talk further or network um, regarding m and and, um, um, and, and capital availability. So. Yeah. yeah. And I, I will, I'll vouch for Brooke also uh, the emerging uh, independent sponsors that used to be called fundless sponsors uh, her relationships in that area. If you're, if you're uh, an individual investor, I think the connections that Brooke has and the relationships and, and the resources she has available is, is ideally suited for that class. So definitely give, give Brooke a, a call. Brooke, thanks again very much for, for this. It was a pleasure having you today. This was a lot of fun. I'm, I'm a big fan and consumer of podcasts. So to be a part of one is um, was a lot of fun. So I appreciate it. Uh, you, now, now you can start your own. You've got to be able to start. <laughs>